Can we talk also about how low rent the poster for one? <laughs> it is. Cop it's is? very weird. It ostensibly is a photo of Michael Keaton, but I don't even think it's a photo. Like something weird is going on with it. Like it wasn't high res enough or something, and they've painted over it or something. He's like, he's like full frame cent- center of the frame, right? And it's yes. like waist to head, and then behind him is it just like. Is it just like a blue background with like a really bad like city skit? Like, yeah. like it doesn't right? even exactly look like New York. It's just a bunch of buildings and it's purple too. <laughs> I feel like purple's just kind of Michael Keaton's color for some reason. Maybe. Like he seems to go very well with his brand of right. machismo goes well. Are you well saying with he purple. seems very purple to you? I don't know if you're aware, Jesse, but Ricky has synesthesia, so he's he's always saying stuff like oh. this. Yeah, I just kind of feel colors and I write my lyrics that way. Lewis is a giving husband. When we got married, I thought, great. I took it for granted what a miracle it is. A great partner. <laughs> Get off of me. Before you? No, darling. Please, you go. Yeah, come on, come on. A good cop. He told you this was strictly voluntary, right? Yeah, right. He never thought he'd lose his partner. Go, 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 go. We lost a good man. Okay. Hi, Daddy. Daddy had an accident. He never thought he'd have children. He made me legal guardian of his kids. Means you gotta take care of them. Look out for their welfare. Trust funds, adoption, foster home, the whole bit. We forgot to say goodnight to you, Uncle Artie. Oh. Um, welcome to 30 Years Later. I'm your host, Ricky Camilleri. Today we are talking about uh, One Good Cop, starring Michael Keaton from 1991, written and directed by Haywood Gould. Uh, Chris Chafin, my co-host, is joining me here right now, and we are also joined by a very special guest whose podcast I guested on a week ago. A week was it a week ago? Yep, a week or two ago, where we talked about I the it last uh, week. Anyway, the masterpiece that that is Shakedown, and uh, he's the host of Junk Filter Pod, Jesse Hawkins. Jesse, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me, guys. Happy to be here. We should say that One Good Cop was uh, Jesse's pick. Oftentimes, when we have guests. We say, like, you know, choose a movie from 1991, and then they always go silent, and we go, well, how about this one? And they go, fine, whatever. <laughs> Who the fuck knows, right? You know. <laughs> whereas, whereas Jesse, very, I want to say within minutes, was like one good cop. <laughs> Which I have I no idea how you the did list. That. I had to just go down the list and see what could I possibly talk about that came out in <laughs> May of 1991. And the only one that was there that I was like, okay, sure. was one good cop for sure. Is this like a movie you used to watch all the time Um, or something like, no, no, but I'm interested in, um, all the sort of dross that came out of touchstone pictures and Hollywood pictures in the late eighties and the early nineties. In fact, it just so happens that I just did an episode of junk filter with Dr. Robin citizen, who is one of the, uh, managers of film programs for the Toronto film festival. And we did cocktail, the 1988 Tom Cruise bartending movie because she's obsessed with that film. So I'm, I've got fresh knowledge on Haywood Gould. So I wanted to see his directorial strange career. He wrote, he wrote cocktail. He wrote cocktail. Yeah. He also wrote, 
the final draft of Rolling Thunder as well. Mm -hmm. Very yeah. strange career. But I, I, what I find interesting about One Good Cop is that I assume that this was his reward for writing the big blockbuster hit Cocktail, where they, where he got dicked around a lot by the studio. Like they made him write forty drafts oh of the movie, which was based on his own novel. So I guess a couple of years later, they were like, "Okay, Haywood Gould, you can direct the movie now." So he directed One Good Cop. Can I just say about Haywood Gould too? Like he also wrote the screenplay for The Boys from Brazil, which is. Yes. It's just an it's just very weird. These are all things that movies that are extremely different and have extremely like I would say they have different energies but they all kind of have this sort of I don't know this sort of smarmy like 80s feel to them even though like they're from the 70s and the 90s, you know. Um before we dive deep into One Good Cop, uh I just want to say a couple of the other movies that came out this week that were that we're not talking about. Um one of them is the Citizen Kane re-release which we talked about on last week's episode. Um and the other two movies are uh Bill Duke's A Rage in Harlem, uh starring Forrest Whitaker, Greg Gregory Hines, Robin Givens, Danny Glover. Awesome piece of film that everybody should check out if they can. Bill Duke is getting the Criterion treatment in a few months with Deep Cover. And um, a movie called Truly Madly Deeply by Anthony Minghella, which is a movie I've never seen, but I've heard is um, is a quite good romantic comedy. I've never seen it. Have you ever seen that movie, Jesse? I sure have. Yeah, it's it's very good. Yeah, I, I think it was a movie that was made for British TV that became a worldwide sort of art house movie. And it has a some wonderful acting in it. <clears throat> um, it was... I. I can't remember whether he, I guess he must've made it right after Die Hard. Alan Rickman plays yeah. um, this woman who's a cellist and the love of her life dies and she can't get over him. And he keeps coming back as a ghost to sort of get her to get on with her life. That's great. It's good. It's got some very raw acting in it and it's very watchable. It's a good movie. On with, uh, with, with one good cop. Uh, Jesse, what were your memories of this movie before going back and rewatching it? Well, I remember it because it was one of the many movies that were getting barfed out all the time by Touchstone in the late 80s into the into around 1992. That was like a sausage factory. They were just knocking out movies. They made something like 30 films a year between oh Disney, Touchstone and Hollywood Pictures, which was their even newer sub subsidiary. What are some of, of the highlights and lowlights of this like insane sausage factory like of like that you can think of? Well, Hollywood Pictures started, I guess, the year before with Arachnophobia. Oh, we did that on the show. I loved it. I thought that movie was really, really good. <laughs> yeah. I like Arachnophobia. But it's like it's like genre stuff that wasn't super expensive that they were putting out. Because what when Disney was sort of taking over the multiplexes in the 80s, what wound up happening is that a lot of smaller studios like De La Rentis and stuff like that, they all went belly up. Like they were having trouble. And so there was all of a sudden new opportunities in the marketplace that Disney stepped into and just started making even more movies. And there was a, a funding group called the Silver Screen Partners that would continually raise money to, to finance films for Disney uh, and Touchstone. And they were all very samey, samey. Like One Good Cop is a great example because it's a cop thriller, sort of, but it's also kind of a soap opera and never really feels like a real movie. It yes, feels like a TV movie I completely agree with this 100%. It's all over the fucking map, right? Like I didn't, I literally didn't know what was going to happen in the plot from one 
act or sometimes scene to the next, right? It seems to be like three different movies stapled together. But at the same time, while you're watching One Good Cop, you're kind of like, this feels like it could be a two episode arc on NYPD Blue. Like Mm. the, like NYPD Blue is actually sharper than, than One Good Cop, but there's something about the sort of flat look of the movie and the sentimentality that feels like, yeah, this could just be, a TV, like a, an episode of TV that like one cop dies and the other cop has to take care of his kids for two episodes. And then you never hear about yeah, the kids right. again. <laughs> like it's just a back, background story. I mean, we'll get into it, but the movie keeps ping ponging back and forth between this crime drama. That's never really very convincing. It doesn't really feel like the streets. Yeah. It feels yeah. like a movie's idea of like the streets. Just it's kind of out of touch, I would yeah. say. But then it keeps going back and forth between this crime drama and then this domestic drama with these sort of cute little kids saying cute little things. It never gels. It just feels like it's just bouncing back and forth. And the the tweeness of the domestic stuff makes the street stuff and the crime stuff seem a little wonky, you know, a little dodgy. I guess you, that said... I will defend the family stuff in that I think Michael Keaton and Rene Russo are both yeah. pretty good in those Ricky scenes. Ricky just wants to talk about there's Rene a couple Russo of moments. Not. I think is this, are we starting already on this? Is <laughs> no, not yet. I'm delaying. I'm I'm delaying the Rene Russo okay, talk right, as much right. as possible because when it when it comes, brothers, it's <laughs> it's gonna it's gonna be a long winded discussion about her hair and how good she looks in taupe and white. Um, yeah. But uh, I I felt like the 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 family drama stuff was uh, relatively affecting for some reason. Maybe I'm just a sentimentalist, but I thought they were both like pretty. And good I with will the say, kids. like, I mean, look, it's Michael Keaton, it's Mr. Mom. You know, it's like this is something he knows how to do a lot better. Like, I believed him in the scenes with the kids. I didn't believe him in the scenes where he's like a crooked cop or whatever. There's a scene where he's interrogating somebody, and the guy like won't give him the goods. You know, and so he's yelling at him and then he gets right in his face and he shakes his fist like, oh, I ought to sock you one. And it was just the most like perfunctory mm-hmm. and unbelievable thing I felt like I had ever seen. I was like, I didn't think for one second like Michael Keaton is going to punch this guy. It very much felt like he was doing an impression yes. of, a, of of an yeah. angry cop, right? Like he grabs, he's like, come, come on, man. man. <laughs> And I think the guy kind of does give him the the guy isn't really lying or hiding anything. He's literally just Look, like, I don't, I don't know. know, man. I'm sorry. I don't know. I, I don't know the answer and, to this. question. And the guy I'm who's sorry. playing the crook is like, he's acting fine. You know what I mean? He's acting like a scared crook. So it's completely Michael Keaton's fault. You know, Jesse, you had said that you have the, the, the ghoul, the goods on Haywood Gould. Was it, was it the, uh, the cocktail stuff or was there, was there more that we neglected to, to ask you about? Cause we're poor. <laughs> No, 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 not at all. I, I, I mean, I don't. The one thing that I couldn't really find when I was researching was Gould talking about this movie. Oh. So I don't know whether it's something that he's just. He directed about three or four films. He did another one called Trial by Jury with Joanne Wally Kilmer, and a couple of other people, like another generic, um, you know, crime or courtroom drama. He j- there's just not much out there from Gould about his directing career. He's talked a lot about writing Cocktail, but he hasn't really said very much about the films that he directed. This film felt just really artificial to yeah. me, like a movie about the crime in the streets. And they keep talking about a drug called ice. Is it's it called, called ice? ice? Yes. Yeah. Is that supposed to be a fictional but drug or are they talking about like PCP? Like you call PCP ice. I thought they were just talking about crack. 
Because the guy's smoking crack when he's like just before he kills Anthony LaPaglia. It has nothing actually to say, though, about the drug, you know, the scourge of drugs in New York. Ricky and I just watched Shakedown, which had a lot more to say about it. Can I say I looked it up and it's uh, meth. Chris, ice is meth. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, that's right. Because it's clear. Right. Right. The Mm -hmm. the glass. Yeah. Ice. I was going to say this seems to me like you wouldn't be able to find him being interviewed for this movie because it didn't do very well one and two it's the kind of movie that from what i understand i mean looking at roger ebert's review was very quickly panned by critics for the glaring mistake uh made at the end of the movie and it to me that mistake seems like something that like upon release when everyone actually says how they feel about the film, like all the filmmakers and studio execs would be like, <laughs> no, of course. Why didn't we think of that? It wouldn't surprise me at all if the they did major, major reshoots at the end to give it a supposed happy ending. Yes. But the implications of the happy ending are actually very oh, disturbing. Yes. I'm sure we'll get into that. The happy ending nature of the film feels like, I think I said this to you in a, DM while we were talking about the movie, Jesse, it feels like um, a parody in the movie, the player, right? Mm-hmm. Like it, it's the kind of happy ending where it's like they had been planning something else forever. And then all of a sudden the studio got involved and they had some like terrible tacked on happy ending. It was the last thing that they could do. Um, but I guess maybe we should say a little bit about what the movie is about because um, unlike Citizen Kane, we're not talking about a classic that most people have seen before they joined the show. Yeah. Um Michael Keaton is a cop. His partner is a um, is recently widowed with three kids, but then the partner dies and leaves his three daughters to Michael Keaton and his wife, played by Rene Russo. But they don't really have enough money to adopt the kids to take them in, and so uh, Keaton, in order to buy a house in the Bronx, um, uh, robs some drug dealers. <laughs> This is where I mean I and, at this uh, point in the movie I was very surprised that this because I it seems to be a not to interrupt not I mean I, you can finish describing the plot if you want but it seems like it's like a movie where it's going to be three men and a baby you know meets like Mister Mom but they're cops and you think it's going to be about oh him caring for the kids and then it becomes the yeah he goes and robs these drug dealers and it becomes a he's like and I'm I'm just I just keep thinking like oh but like somehow it's going to like he's not really doing it, but he is really doing it. And then the whole rest of the movie is about the fallout of him doing this armed robbery of these drug dealers. And the drug dealers are all Hispanic. And um, a large portion of the movie takes place at this um, uh, Latin bar where they hang out. And it's kind of supposed to be the, like the bar of the villains in a way but it's just Latin and there's something inherently racist about, like, you can I tell they're evil because they're like, not I, white. I'm like, is that, you know? Yeah. And, and they try to offset this by casting Benjamin Bratt as, as a, as a Latino police officer, um, which I guess kind of works, but he also hates these people. And as he's well. also like so, sucks at being a um, cop too, you know, like, yeah, well, they kind of all suck at being cops. Um, and then, um, so yeah, Michael Keaton robs them. And then the government happens to be involved because they were like doing a sting operation or something on these guys. So Rachel Ticotin gets involved and Michael Keaton gets kidnapped by these guys and gets beat up. And then they have to blow up the house. And you would think he would get into trouble, but, and where the movie really steps oh, astray is, um, 
in the last moments, the cops are like, hey, you know what? Don't worry about it. We're covering it up because we like you. <laughs> and like, and it's supposed to be a happy ending, but you realize, but like the happy ending is that they're all happy yes, to be corrupt. I know. It's his, his, his uh, chief says, I already lost one good cop. I'm not going to lose two. So oh, I so guess you that's just where the title who, comes from. Oh, yeah. yeah. And you just explained who the one good cop was. It was Anthony LaPaglia. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. The, yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. So is the movie admitting that the last good cop is dead now? Yes, I think so. Yes, I think so. I mean, I think it's what's really interesting about this movie, right? So like you're saying this whole ending where it's like we're going to cover up the this multiple murder and like all this robbery and stuff, whatever, you know, and they're going to pretend like none of this ever happened, right? And by the way, this scene does end with a bag with presumably like a million dollars in it in the chief's office for this crime that now hasn't happened. And I'm like, so is he just going to take the bag home or like, <laughs> like what? Like that's a, he's going to like put point. it in the evidence locker as evidence of what there's no crime. Like that's going to create more problems. <laughs> like the chief is going to fucking take it home. Like, um, okay. Oh, that's right. There's the, there's the yeah. bag of money. Yeah. yeah. I want to go off about this movie, about this part yeah. just for yes. a moment. This movie, there's no point in getting angry at a movie like this because it made $10 million <laughs> 30 paid years for its ago. crimes. Yeah, right. <laughs> right, you're kind of you're kind of kicking something that's already down. We're digging up the corpse to just bury it all over again, as they say. But what bugged me about this sort of the casual police corruption being a happy ending in this movie is that this is the kind of shit that cops tell themselves when they commit yes. crimes. You know? Like, oh, well, you know, uh, my partner died. So since I know the bad, the I know the drug dealers that gave the drugs to the guy who killed my partner. So they're a pieces of shit and I'm going to rob them and I'm going to buy a house. And then when he gets in trouble for that, all the cops go, well, we don't want to give the kids to some orphanage. Those kids have suffered enough. We'll just forget about it. It's like, well, I evil. think it's, I think it's face. Even though it's convoluted and it's a and it's a melodrama, and again, it was thirty years ago in this stupid movie. But this is the kind of shit that I think cops might tell themselves when they're thinking about rationalizing corruption. Is these kinds of stories? Yeah. Like, oh, what about their kids? What about what about his kids? Yeah. You gonna make his kids uh, some an fucking orphan? scumbag? You're worried about him? Ugh. Why does every cop sound like a like a Brooklyn <laughs> cop at this point? It's like like the redneck ac accent travels all like David Cross had a whole bit about this like 20 years ago that the redneck accent is the only accent that travels all across <laughs> the North America. Yeah. But like also so does yeah, the cop, cop accent exactly at the this same. point. Yeah, that's totally true. Every cop talks like um the cops in the bathroom yeah. in Reservoir Dogs, you know? Like don't fucking move, buddy. I did like it. It's, I mean, is it an improvement over the days when every cop was like an Irish stereotype? Like, bring back those days, you know? What are you boys getting up to in here? There was a, there was an uncomfortable moment early on where Keaton and Anthony LaPaglia were walking around in a public housing complex, knocking on doors and asking black people questions. And I was, I, it was a bit cringe that scene well that's another cringe scene because like they don't want to answer the questions and these cops are like oh come on give me a break answer the fuck answer the fucking question and like you can imagine a white audience in 1991 being like they're not gonna they they, yeah, they love crime whereas watching it today i was like completely on the side of these people and they everything they're saying yeah. is rational they're like get the fuck out of here what are you we're not gonna like what you, you're not gonna do anything about it 
And they're like, oh, hey, come on, sweetheart. Come on. But just these cops just walking around, knocking on doors and tag teams and stuff. It's like, it's like bullying people. It's, bullying, it's the yeah. kind of shit that like you could only do in certain neighborhoods, too. I mean, it's nothing compared to what cops do now, which is essentially like Fallujah, da Fallujah down doors across projects, you know. And uh, where is he? Where is he? I know you got weapons I in here. Oh, where I found some he? fucking weed in here. Looks like you're going to jail, yeah. which actually Michael Keaton does do in this movie, also. Yes. Oh right, yeah, he does that to the to yeah. the to yeah. the girl, and right? Basically, we maybe. I mean. We don't see her get killed or anything, very, but it seems like he definitely endangers her life, like a hundred percent. For three men who who have been, who've recently talked about out for justice on podcasts, very similar to the way that Steven Seagal treats Gina Gershon <laughs> yes, in Out for Justice. Yeah. Oh, what's this? What's this? I like that this is a trope of the time too, is that every woman has cocaine in her purse. Like and it's just kind yeah. of being a little bit sleazy to, you know, point it out. You know, like I like that it's a trope of the time for cops to just yeah, like plant evidence. Want. Yeah. Like it's okay. As long as it's like getting them to where they apparently need to be, which in this is robbing oh, drug dealers. Well, I think this is unintentionally okay the most, like I think this is unintentionally the most honest movie about police officers like ever made. And I think the movie thinks that <laughs> yeah. it's just like a movie about some good working guys trying to do their best, but it's actually about a bunch of lazy, corrupt, murderous hotheads, you know, who completely cover up for each other. We haven't even talked about this to me as somebody in my position in life, living in New York city. Like I'm in my late thirties. I have a, a child. There's a scene where there's a flyer up in the police office uh, in the precinct that says, like, need to move now. Like, let me know. Yeah. And he that goes up to this guy's house and Michael Keaton's like, look, I would love to get you a house, but I, I, I can't afford this. And the guy goes, oh, for somebody from the department, just give me 20 G's and send me a check when you can. You know, I, I wrote in my notes immediately. I was like, this is illegal. I hate this. And then I was like, oh, it's not illegal. It's just really <laughs> fucked up and unfair. And like, I want it. I want this, you know. Well, he's basically inviting Michael Keaton to go get go be corrupt, right? To go steal money. Because he's like, look, just give me a little bit of this money. And then you go find the cash however you're going to find it, okay? As long as it's cash in hand. And he's assuming that Michael Keaton, as a cop, like, will be able to find yeah, cash. Yeah, yeah. Right? Because like, it's like, what the fuck are you doing? Look, just go rob, just go a, rob, a, drug go rob a couple drug dealers. Yeah. Don't worry. But this movie is in no way trying to condemn the police. Oh, no, not at all. The police. Like, no. This isn't the no, glass no. shield. <laughs> you know what <laughs> I mean? It's about this is one the thing that's so fascinating is it thinks that everything these characters are doing is good. It thinks that all of this shit is good. Covering up like six murders, like, uh, you know, shaking down drug dealers, like harassing people. Or justified because he gives the money to... I love that he justifies, like, they justify his behavior morally by him giving the money to the church, but the church is like... What, this fucking money? This are you kidding me? We don't, we don't want this he probably stole money. this from a drug dealer so or something, you know? immediately kind of negates like the the moral thing that he was trying to do there like trying to equal and he had only himself. been to this fucking shelter one time you know like oh that was the other thing about the shelter was that like he gets brought to the shelter while he's um looking for a place to toss off the kids because he's not sure he wants to keep them yet and they bring him to the shelter and he's blown away he's blown away that a shelter could slightly be like underfunded like a, an orphanage he's in new york a city new york city cop he yeah does he have no knowledge he's of how social never services before are encountered in any child or like had the social service system right yeah <laughs> he like he like shows up in the church he's like 
so what's this called? What's this? And they're like, a shelter. And he's like, and he's what like, do you do here? And he's like, we house people so each of these kids homeless. gets their own room and as many and toys as they want, so like, right? <laughs> <laughs> so like even children? Yes, children are homeless too. Whoa. Oh, shit. Whoa. I can't believe this. I can't let and they don't particularly here. seem to be in like extra distress at that moment. Like... It, it's just regular, yeah. you know? Like it's like if you ran into somebody you had never met before and you're like, how's it going? And they're like, oh, it's, I'm okay. Well, I'm like a little hungry. And then you robbed a bank to get them 10,000 <laughs> sandwiches, you know? <laughs> I don't, why would you do this? What's wrong with you? Like, um, So at this point, you know, as much as we're jumping ahead, because he sees the shelter and sees how disgusting and decrepit social services are in, in, in America's New York City, he decides to keep these kids at all costs. Right. And also um, the wife wants them. Yeah. Also and, the uh, wife wants them, you know. Right, because she, Renee Russo has that one scene where she was like, I wanted kids, and then we realized I couldn't, and it was out of my mind, but now it's back in my mind. No, there's a scene previously with their friends where the friends go, remember, they tried to have kids, but she couldn't. (laughs) It's always the woman's fault in these fucking movies. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it can't be the cop's fault. He can't have a low sperm count. He's a cop. not a, a real man. He'd be thrown off the force. (laughs) <laughs> dickless, dickless. dickless piece of shit. one good dickless <laughs> cop <laughs> um and this is where and we start spe- getting this sort of oh go ahead Jesse. I, I was like and speaking of renee russo <laughs> i'm still hey, i'm still delaying Ricky's this is where this is- renee russo discussion on this episode <laughs> <laughs> this is where we get our parenting montage where they yeah. learn right. to parent um I don't have kids, so I think I should be the most cynical about this scene, this sequence. But I think I'm actually the most uh, sentimental. I loved it. About I thought it. it was great. It was possibly my favorite part of the movie. I think it actually is in my notes as one yeah. of my favorite parts is from this. It's just cute and sweet. The you know? scene where the scene where they're at the carnival and they oh, lose the little girl, awful, and awful the other girl gets mad and. Yeah, I've I've been I've done that. I did that when I was a little kid. I would take yeah, off all yeah. the time. I turned to my wife. We have a t- our da- daughter's a year and a half. I said, you know, someday something like this is going to happen to us, like at a street fair or something, and we're going to be so scared, but it's going to be okay. And she's like, "Shut up! I can't think about it. Shut up!" Like it was, it was really having an emotional <laughs> impact on the both of us. Jesse, you have kids, right? I have a I have a five year old or a five and a half year old actually. Has and this I'll, happened to you yet? I'll, Oh, for sure. You, I've lost sight of him and I've gotten a little mini heart attack every once in a while. There's been no, but it's never been like um, histrionics, like at an amusement park. It's been in the playground where he's wandered off oh, and I don't yeah. see him anymore. But but my experience with parenting is that you you eventually your circle, the circle around your child gets bigger and bigger. That when they're very, very little, you couldn't possibly be more than five feet away from them most of the time. And then like today he went all the way to the whole other end of the park and I don't care, you know, cause I know that he's going to come <laughs> well, back. Well, you were drunk at the time. No, I, I mean, mean because... to be fair, like... <laughs> exactly. I was asleep. <laughs> uh, no, but what I mean is that um, you, you start to trust each other. I mean, you know, you don't uh, lose your guard, but you also let them go and let them go run around and they're going to come yeah, back. Yeah. That's, you also parenting. live in Canada, which is a much nicer place. We That's live in the true. mean streets of, a, That's true. of America. Where our lack of uh, socialized healthcare uh, leads, you know, yeah. breeds a certain sense of danger. And my daughter's selling ice. Yeah. Like I don't know what to do. <laughs> Some crooked <laughs> cop is after her. I think it's awful. 
And what is with the guy? I know I'm backtracking here, but the scene where Lapaglia gets killed, um, they, oh, they, yeah. they, you know, they go into the house. It's a pretty bad scene. Like they pull up and there's like a, hey, remember that guy you arrested two weeks ago? Yeah. He's got his wife held hostage right now. But like they're told that in the precinct and then they drive over there. Like he would have to have his wife held hostage for yeah, a very yeah. long time. I don't think well, this a hostage can go situation, that long. Ricky, it can be days. Haven't you seen Munich? You know, like it can. That's true. These things can really drag. But they, they, they show up and um, the guy is not making any sense and he's holding his wife hostage. And then um, the guy shoots. Wait, 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 wait. Okay, so just to give a little bit of flavor of this dude, like he is peak 1980s character because he is literally hitting, it looks like a crack pipe, he's smoking meth, hitting a crack pipe, holding an Uzi and like screaming at the cops, mm-hmm. which is like... Every drug dealer has an Uzi in the 80s and early 90s. It, they just apparently gave them out with the drugs. And I just love it because he's like aggressively hitting the crack pipe. Like it's like in out, this, out for Justice, right? Like just like sucking yeah. for dear life on this crack pipe while holding an Uzi, which I, I thought was great. Yeah. That scene went on forever, though. It was like two minutes longer than it needed to be. I would have yeah. hacked it in half. Yeah. I did like um, Michael Keaton has a very Michael Keaton reaction to seeing his uh, his partner shot in the head because he like doesn't know that yeah. he's shot and he comes walking around and he goes, hey, we did it, pal. We're alive. Where we did it. And he pulls him up. He's got the gunshot in his head. And no one does the like double reaction as well as Michael Keaton does. Right. Like yeah. they kind of like seize it, pull back, mm-hmm. move in again and then like pull back and really take it in. Keaton is kind of like it's quintessential Keaton and he does it in that moment. It's great. It's also great because actually what he says when he when he picks up his friend's head is he goes, "Hey, hey, what are you dead?" <laughs> he's got And he's got a <laughs> Yes, he says, "Hey, what are you dead?" <laughs> and he's got a bullet hole in his head, you know. Also in that scene where uh the guy uh where LaPaglia gets tagged in the head, we get our first sight of uh the great Kevin Corrigan. Mm. Kevin Corrigan is the like friend of the shooter who's in the street oh, yeah. being like, Yeah, kill him. Yeah, <laughs> shooter, this is awesome. This is awesome. Kill your killer. wife, kill these cops, these rules. <laughs> and then he's in the basement apartment when they go which I don't remember why they went there. It's they're like trying to investigate yeah, who so killed like like something or other, and they go down there and they get there's all the rats and they get shot at. They, like literally, there's a shot of like Benjamin Bratt's feet that looks like a yes, bucket of rats yes, were just yes. dust on it. It makes no. Man, there's physical so. Sense m- I mean, I have been in like shitty that. places in New York City and I have seen lots of rats, but never in my life like a moving carpet like this. Like a plague. In fucking basement. Yeah, yeah like. Somehow is standing in a pile of rats and, and they're biting him. It. He like puts his hand down somewhere and a rat like pops out and he's like, you know, like... <laughs> but, but again, this movie is like a soap opera and it has a soundtrack by David Foster for God's sakes. Like yeah. a really Who's David sur- he did the St. Elmo's fire music, you know, like wow. the, oh, da, yeah. da, 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 da. you know, that it yeah. had a real syrupy uh, melodrama uh, score. But then every reel is like that. And then every other reel is Uzis and a plague yeah. of rats. <laughs> you know, very the weird. Tone it is very weird, the, the tone of this movie. Because I do, I, 
like even though we've watched so many of these movies and like you're saying I know the movie is like a piece of crap I'm I expected it to have some kind of linear progression like I was like oh now he's gonna like learn how to be a parent but he only learns how to be a parent for like 10 pages of the script you know and then the movie like runs out of ideas for that and has to move on to something else you know the movie really does run out of ideas when it comes to the last act of uh, uh, of the film, which I feel like we'll probably get back to. Well, uh, something in, I want to talk minute, about is like, um, so there's this really weird turn that the movie makes that is like kind of liberal and also kind of extremely conservative. So like you're saying, right, his Anthony Lee gets shot by this guy who's on drugs. Okay. Now that guy is apprehended at the scene. Okay. And then, so he, so technically his partner's murder has been avenged immediately. Like that guy is in jail, like it's finished. But then yeah. Michael Keaton immediately is like, where'd you get the drugs from? It, and the, he's beating the guy up. And then the whole rest of the movie is about finding the guy who gave the drugs to the guy who killed his partner. So it's like, he's not actually mad at the person who actually killed his partner at all. Like none of his rage is directed at this person. It's all directed at like the person who sold him the drugs which I thought was like very weird. It's taking all agency away from the actual guy and putting all the agency on the drugs. Like, you know, like the drug, drugs made him crazy, you know? That was like maybe the liberal conscience of, of Haywood Gould, maybe. Because he's apparently <laughs> a lefty. That's you what know, I heard about him. What, like what kind of lefty, I wonder, though? Like, like a big lefty, but like a big old commie was the way he was described to me. Um, really yeah which is you know i mean those are his ideals maybe those are the ideals that he's drifted towards as well i guess the boys older. from brazil i mean the nazis are the bad guys <laughs> you know like yeah but this i mean this movie is uh an unintentional critique of the police yeah 100%. <laughs> you can certainly read it that way uh and I don't know how much of that is something that delights Haywood Gould. Maybe he's kind of glad that the movie kind of puts a dim. I don't light on think because I, I think the movie thinks the cops maybe. are the heroes. You know, You're, I mean, maybe yeah. it was the ultimate subversion by Haywood Gould. <laughs> like he's playing three, truly playing three D chess. He's like way ahead of everybody. The I mean, if that's the case, like pretty, pretty I mean, smart. Nobody seems to have told the actors or the <laughs> director, you know, well, I guess he's the director. Yeah. Yeah. Can I say, imagine how much better this movie would be. I mean, granted, there'd be problems with it. It wouldn't be the best directed film, but imagine how much better this movie would be if there was just one look on Michael Keaton's face at the end of the film that like, yes, they're alive. He got away with it, but now they have to like live haunted with everything you know, like or like, or like if Ben, if Ben Bratt, Benjamin Bratt, instead of like being like, yeah, we, you know, you're still, you're, you're still a cop. Like gave him a look that was kind of like, this is fucked up yeah. that you're, that you're like, I'm unhappy with the fact that you're not in trouble for, for this, you know, like yeah. all, it's all it takes for the movie to have just a little more intelligence and resonance at, at, at the end. Otherwise it's just muddled and confused. And like you said, it feels like corruption. There's things that happen. There are things that happen in this movie that you cannot actually cover up. You know, it's one thing for the police to all look the other way and not uh, testify against each other or whatever. But but for instance, there's a bunch of corpses now. Like people have been murdered. Yeah, Michael Keaton stuck a sword through uh, there was somebody. A giant scare in the condo. How does an insurance company overlook that? Or yeah. you know, like there are all these things that would not have obscured his guilt, yeah. even if there's some rationale for why he did what he did there's a suggestion that certain people don't have rights 
That's what I didn't like about the well, film. Well, yeah, I think a movie like this doesn't think that the drug dealers are real people, like especially if they are not white people. Like they don't count, like they mm-hmm. don't exist. You know, they're some kind of other kind of thing than a person. Yeah, like if they're drug dealers and they don't have the same rights than you. They're and not I like real people. They're... they're like drug dealers. Like you understand. Well, this also still comes from that period of time where it's like, Drug dealers were somehow seen as like peddling trap, peddling junk to children. Yeah. Like, dr- dr- like drug dealers, it's like that uh, war on drugs craze yeah. propaganda where it's like drug dealers are walking around children's pro- playgrounds trying to sell heroin to eight year olds, giving out drugs for free because they want to create more customers. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I can't tell you how many times I was advised mm-hmm. like not to take free drugs from somebody on the playground. And I got to say that that did not happen. And if it had, I would have taken the drugs. Like that seems great. Right. I was always like, wait, there are drugs being out, offered on the playground. For free? I have, where? I haven't seen this. Just go hang out under the slide all recess in the hopes that a drug dealer would show up in the shadiest spot that I could find. Yeah, they would be on the premises of your school in a giant trench coat, like handing out crack. Which, in this scenario, I somehow know how to smoke crack, I guess, you know? Or, or like, what if he, he called his wife and was like, we're alive, and, or, or then he, like, came home and was like, honey, I'm a, we're alive, like, uh, it's, everything's going to be fine. And she was like, uh, I don't think so. Kind of yeah, psychotic yeah. for you to I do mean, this. I mean, even just, like, if you know? this is not giving the movie like extra credit for being smart, but like even if it had just ended at the end of the big condo murder scene and just kind of left all the rest of it ambiguous, like that would have been Mm -hmm. something too. Instead of explicitly showing all the stuff that it shows, it's like, you you know, just leave it, just leave it. And it's over. I mean, it's an, it's an movie from 1991. Like it, it can end at the end of the gunfight. You know what I mean? He had to have died in the original script. Yeah. I would wager that there was a happy ending reshoot on this one because yeah. it was all going into a dark direction. I mean, there's all these hints of a darker movie that are in the movie, just like in cocktail, like cocktail is, is very dark in some parts and you can tell that uh, they lightened it up as much as they could, but there's just a darkness in the entire concept that cannot be completely suppressed. And, and this movie is sort of dealing with uh some fairly Wait, dark I'm, issues about um, I'm not that familiar with cocktail. Can you like what are the what are the strains of darkness in in cocktail? In cocktail there's um his his friend uh Brian Brown is uh commits suicide because he realizes that uh there's really no point to the partying lifestyle like he he's he has actually no money but he's been putting up this giant front. He's a very very unhappy man and He's uh, Tom Cruise is his protege and he commits suicide in the last 20 minutes of the movie. Oh, wow. Yeah. You know, it's like not really sort of like the, but the movie's not marketed like that. Like the movie is the guys throwing the bottles up in the air and having a great time, but there's all this and it does have a happy ending that doesn't feel earned, but there's, you know, all this dark material that suggests a much darker film and the novel that the movie is based on, is about a 40-year-old bartender who's still working in a bar and he's still chasing his big break. And, you know, he's coming to the realization that, like, he's destroyed his life. But you wouldn't know that from watching the Tom Cruise movie. My God. God. The only thing that I ever remember from the Tom Cruise movie is in the beginning when uh, 
Tom Cruise is like, the waitresses are really mad at me. And Brian Brown goes, why do you give them crabs? Then they'll be real mad at you. Yeah. And he's like supposed to be cool when he says it. And you're like, gross. Crabs? The camera actually <laughs> like, ready? the camera dollies in on his face for that. Like they actually set up a track yes. and shit for that line of dialogue. Right. Like he's almost like looks into the lens and says it. What right? a cool like, guy. He has STDs. <laughs> Yeah, and Tom Cruise is like, he <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. loves it. Yeah. It's great. Crabs um, is one of the ones that you, well, people always talk so about. You, it. It's really gross to me because it's like insects that are alive on you. Like that seems really gross to me. I mean, Ricky, you've had crabs a bunch, right? Well, you, like so. <laughs> well, yeah, you just got to burn off like half the hair, that half the hair on one side, and then you, um, while they're crawling around, you stab them around, stab them with a nice. <laughs> That's pick. cool. That's cool as Ugh. fuck, Ricky. I take it back. Crabs are cool. It's from the master. <laughs> I think it's from other stuff too, but it's from I I remember Joaquin Phoenix saying it at the beginning of, of the master before he humps the sand the, dune. The oh uh the God. sand the sand woman. Yeah. Um so uh you brought up Kevin Conway, uh, Jesse, and we immediately jumped into Kevin Corrigan. Talk about who Kevin Conway is. Well, Kevin Conway is this veteran actor who always played cops. Wasn't he on one of the Star Trek series, too? Oh, I shit. Think, I think he was. Uh -oh, I Chris, know, and I don't know is the answer. Fucking... That's awful. You bring up Star Trek all the time and make fun of me for I'm, not knowing I'm... about this nerd shit, and now you have a chance to redeem yourself. He played... Oh, yes, okay. It's because, look, it. in failing. my defense, it's because he was under Klingon makeup, so I didn't looked recognize him. But yes. yes, he played the clone of... Yeah. So not a real the, fan. He played the, play the clone fan. of Kaelas that was engineered by the High Council uh, to like give some direction and spiritual guidance to the Klingon people in a time of, you know, <laughs> great upheaval. Yeah. It's great. He's on a bunch of episodes. Yeah, he's great. But he was. I feel like your. I I feel like your Wi-Fi was dying of boredom. Oh, while was you were I like that, gl gl glitching <laughs> out during that? Oh, am I still glitching? Yeah. Out? Oh, no. <laughs> he's a that guy actor for sure. Like he's played cops of various levels of integrity throughout. You know, lots of television work, lots of movie work. Um, He's a total that guy actor. He he passed away last year, but as soon as he came on in One Good Cop, I was like, okay, well, at least Kevin Conway's in this <laughs> thing, playing the sort of the Irish uh, taciturn cop. There's a really funny scene. I actually wrote down the quotes. He's on the phone. Uh, this is after La Palia dies. Um, the the precinct is short staffed and there's an ice epidemic going on. So there's a very funny scene where Kevin Conway's on the phone with the commissioner because they're short staffed at the precinct during this ice pandemic. And he says, I'm drowning up here. People freaking out on ice, killing each other in the streets. Just get me some bodies up here. <laughs> a little cop oh talk. God, amazing stuff. Does, I want to, I want to see a movie where the Sergeant looks like younger than everybody else. And they're mad that like this young guy got made Sergeant or something. Cause Every sergeant is always just like they're either like ex they're all exhausted and yelling the whole time, and that's or and older. That's pretty much it. There's rarely like a new sergeant who's a like fresh faced a, young guy yeah, who's kinda... like trying to lay down the law with everybody, and they're like, "Shut the fuck up!" <laughs> like, yeah. or they yeah. would they would they get this? Yeah, uh, hey, look, Miley, yeah. look, I was busting perps when you were still sucking your mama's tit. Okay. Um. So. I think it's time, hey, yeah. fellas. I think it's time to talk about the one and only, the goddess, Renee Russo. Renee Russo. 
Renee Russo. So Ricky, please just tell yeah. me, just give, let's have your general impressions first of all of her, of her, you know, uh, what's going on with Renee Russo in this movie. She's, um, uh, Michael Keaton's wife in the movie. And, um, she is just, uh, radiant and gorgeous. And she shows up on camera and she had this thing in the nineties where it's like, yes, she had a couple movies where like she was the the sex bomb in a way, like maybe the older sex bomb because she started, she didn't start doing movies until until a little later after her modeling career was kind of over. But there's this sense, especially in One Good Cop, where she is so fucking hot that it like does not make sense that she would be a cop's wife and that every other cop all the time wasn't talking about it. <laughs> like every time Michael Keaton showed up into the room, other cops were What's like, how's on? that wife? Like every time he left the room, they're like, hey, so what are you doing with this fucking guy, huh? He's like a real piece of shit, right? Yeah. Or like, you know, a cop comes into the room and like, it's, or like even if the little girls, they were like, Uncle Artie, what's she, what's she doing with you? <laughs> like she's just so stunning and looks no, just does not look like a normal person. They kind of try to dress her up in like fashionable yeah. normie clothes, yeah. you know, but they're still like, hyper fashionable clothes <laughs> for 1991 yeah. and she still looks like a goddamn babe and it just doesn't make it doesn't make that i mean the 90s were just that period of time where it's like i guess now still is you know you'll see naomi watts or someone play the wife but like there's something specific about renee russo where it's like this does not this does make not any make sense. any sense that she's just kind of hanging around this fucking cop who somehow can't make any money. There's one long scene where um, they're her and Michael Keaton are having some conversation. I forget about what, but the way it's it's in it's in two like medium shots, close ups for the on the two of them, and then like Michael Keaton just looks normal. He's standing up. Rene Russo is laying down in like a silk slip. And it's framed just so you can just a little bit see her nipples, like right at the bottom of the frame. And this scene goes on for like five whole minutes or something, you know? And she's just like splayed out on the bed. But you, the camera is so tight on her, you don't really have a sense of like what, how she is sitting or like what's going on with her. It's just like she just looks like a glamorous alien, you know, who's like extremely hot. This was her first leading role too. She'd been in like major league and stuff in sort of small roles. But this was like her first um, major league. Um, See, major league makes sense to me. Major league makes sense, right? It's an arch comedy. And like, you can just bring in the hottest woman in town to be like the reporter that the catcher likes, right? Mm. Like that's just, it makes sense. Where in this, it's just kind of like, you know, even if Rachel Tickleton, who looks beautiful in this movie as well, played that might even be a little more reasonable. as the cop's wife yeah but, i buy her a little bit more because she's like pretty but you could dress yeah. her like a mom you know like and she would just look she's kind of street tough like renee russo looks like she walked off of ventura boulevard <laughs> perfect or ringlets you hanging know, down her a, face you know yeah like, like, like you're saying always in white and taupe she's like the picture of 1991 sophistication you know but i had a huge crush on her too like when she showed up it was like who's this when uh but i noticed her for the first time in free jack but uh free jack is not i wouldn't say it's good but it's fun to watch for sure i want to say one thing about um 
my notes about this movie. I kept writing TV movie, TV movie in my uh, notes while I was watching One One Good Cop because I wrote TV movie, David Foster soundtrack. <laughs> I wrote TV movie version of Carlito's Way. <laughs> <laughs> Even though it oh. came first, <laughs> like 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 specifically in the Latin yeah. bar. Yeah, it it was like a TV movie version of the bar in Carlito's way, and like TV versions of the gangsters, and and then Rachel Ticotten as that sort of haughty girlfriend of the mobster, mm-hmm. of the drug lord, and then the convenient plotting later in the movie where he, she turns out that she's an undercover um, agent, and she, you know they they they're monitoring him, and it's like. But aren't you like hanging around him while he's like yeah, killing right. people and doing drugs and you're a cop? Aren't you helping like, him sell drugs and murder people? Like, but then I guess yeah. that is the kind of shit the cops do. Again, we're back around to unintentionally. This movie is a very strong critique of modern American policing. Let's uh, yeah, let's, let's do, do it. Questions? Think. Is there something that we're? Uh, is there is there anything else before we get there that oh. you guys wanted to talk about? No, I don't think so. I think you know. Rene Russo, amazing. Oh, actually, this is one thing I want. This is just real quick. But did either of you notice that the oldest kid, who's kind of the like star of the kids, she seemed to have a, a southern accent at one point, like very. Her first oh, yeah. couple lines. She, again, it's supposed to be the son of the daughter of a cop in New York City who lives in the Bronx or whatever. And when after her dad's dead and they move in with Michael Keaton, she's like, "Where's my mama and my daddy?" <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> "I was like, what the fuck is going on here?" You know, I'll, I'll two things I will say when we first meet Anthony LaPaglia and he is like in bed just staring at his wedding photo, you couldn't you couldn't come up with like a better way to depict a grieving man, <laughs> a grieving widower. You know, it's like he's laying in bed staring at his wedding photo <laughs> crying like did she just die a few minutes ago what's I know, happening I know. well it's before instagram i was fuzzy uh, on when she died and also how did she die did she have cancer I mean, or something? he probably he probably beat her to death i mean you know like and then they all covered <laughs> it up like, i do feel like it was a while ago because there's that scene where michael keaton's trying to introduce him to women by like chasing down joggers again yeah. like another instance of like is this pro yeah, it seems like he's just sexually harassing these people but anthony napoleon's reaction is like hey you're always trying to set me up with people <laughs> like what are you talking about he's just you like know. he's just like chasing these jogging women and being like hey you should just fuck my friend you should fuck my friend he's a good guy you should fuck him and they're like his friend yeah Leave us alone. Leave us alone. He's like, ah, what? No, I'm a cop. Oh Come God. back. Ah, they run away. <laughs> um, and I will say in, in, in the sentimental portion of the movie with the kids, I did really fall for the scene where the little girl is, the middle girl is like, where is Renee Russo, Auntie oh. Renee? And they're like, she's at work. And she goes, oh, I'm going to call her. And they're like, do not call her. She's at work. And she calls anyway. And she's like, Hi, I was just worried about you. I love you. God, <laughs> I thought that was a really so, sweet. It's so moment. fucking sweet, honestly, it was. <laughs> it like really worked on me. <laughs> call me lonely and call me maybe I'm just like a single man in his mid to late thirties and was thinking like I wish I had a child to call Imagine me. Imagine someone work. loving you <laughs> in the other room. <laughs> yeah. Um so three questions uh at the end of every show. Uh and um the first question is, you know, what very simply, what was your favorite part of this movie? Jesse, what was your favorite part? My favorite part of the movie was all of the stuff in the 
uh, TV movie version of Carlito's okay. Way Bar. That stuff I like. Just always a hot woman salsa there was dancing always, by herself. Like there was lots of salsa dancing. There was lots of uh, people uh, ordering the wrong drinks and getting in trouble, and uh, malevolent gangsters toasting the cops and stuff like that. I'm a sucker for that kind of stuff. It was it was fun. Also, Benjamin Bratt, who really adds to the TV moviness of it as yeah. well. He's yeah. not a re- he's not really like a feature. F- he's a TV handsome oh, kind yeah, of guy. Hundred percent. Well, I mean, it is fun to see Benjamin Bratt yeah. do this because it's like obviously he did this for many years on Law and Order, right? He was like Lenny Briscoe's partner, you know. So you're seeing kind of a proto version mm-hmm. of that where he's like a little bit more like hyped up and like rough around the edges. But I, I agree that kind of cliche cop but stuff is also fun in the movie, yeah. But also way too handsome yes. for yeah. The, but they the also bar. make him seem like he's like he's like a gross guy that's always hitting on everybody and everybody, but all the women are like, get out of here. But he looks like Benjamin Bratt. And so you're like, wait, none of these women are interested in this. Like Benjamin Bratt is like, Hey, we should go fuck right now. They're like, shut up. You loser. <laughs> right. And Benjamin it's, Bratt, it's Benjamin Bratt. A, a perfect face beautiful. and teeth. Yeah. Chris, oh, what was your I also part? loved all this parenting shit. I'm a sucker for all this stuff. I'm a new dad. You know, there's a scene where right after the kids come and live with Michael Keaton and Renee Russo, one of them like comes out of the bed bedroom crying in the middle of the night. And, and then there's a shot of Michael Keaton like slipping a towel onto the bed, like underneath the sister who's sleeping in the same bed. Cause presumably she's wet the bed and he's like trying really hard not to wake her up, you know, and, and succeeds in not waking her up. And I was like, this is this fucking rules. This is so sweet. What a good dad he is. He's just doing his best, you know, and like, oh, he's, he's getting there. Like I liked, I liked all, I liked a lot of the parenting stuff, but like something about that moment in particular, I just thought it was really sweet and cute. And I really liked it. My favorite part is the, um, is the shelter. <laughs> There's just something so uh, insane about a cop seeing a shelter for the first time. <laughs> The idea that a a New York City detective has, even to just question people, he would go to shelters probably on a daily basis or like fucking arrest somebody for selling drugs or something, you know? But this this scene, he walks in the shelter and he's like, what is this place? (laughs) And I like, I cannot get enough of, 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 uh, of, of that scene. Um, And I also, I will also add to that, there's like a I, maybe I wasn't a pain. I wasn't oh paying my attention. God, so this there movie, Ricky, please, come on. You weren't paying attention that closely. <laughs> but there seemed to be a narrative problem where he and Rene Russo decide to keep the kids. And then a few scenes go by and his cop friend and social services DSS show up to like take the kids away potentially or look at the house. And there was more than enough time within the narrative for him to go to her and say, Hey, we've decided to keep the kids because then when she shows up, she's like, I thought I was doing you a favor. You didn't want kids. And he's like, I want (laughs) kids, you know? Yeah, I agree. It was very confusing. It's this. Yeah. Cause you thought it settled. He could have taken a hundred percent. A hundred percent. Yeah. And it's not even really presented in a light of like, Oh shit, I forgot to get around to that. It's just like it's everybody else's fault. He you know, he didn't do anything wrong. It's like, you know, his coworker is the bad guy. Oh wait, yeah. can I just say a second a second um favorite thing that I forgot to say, which is that um there's a scene so they do get the house in the suburbs and then later on the drug dealers break into the, they're like we're going to go kill his family, but they break into the apartment and they're not there, of course, because they've all moved to the suburbs. So I was like 
Wait, so this movie, in this movie, like buying a house in the suburbs literally saves the life of his entire family, which I thought was like, that's sort of like what's in the back of your mind as a parent. And when you like move to the suburbs, it's like, oh, I got to protect my family. But in this movie, completely textually, 100% a house in the suburbs saves everyone's life. And then the city, there's just gangs of murderers breaking into your house to kill you constantly. One of the other questions that we ask is, um, you know, the podcast is called 30 Years Later. Uh, because of that, every movie that we talk about for the next 10 years, <laughs> we do the podcast for 10 years, will have mm. been made and released in the 90s, in the 1990s. So um, what is the most 90s thing about this movie? Ooh, let me think about that. Somebody else answered. Are, you, are we going around Rene the table? Russo. Rene Russo. I'm, I'm going yeah. to Rene I Russo. I mean, yeah, 100%. I, that's a great answer. I mean, we've been talking about this the whole show, but for me, it's just like, the way that no matter what awful shit they're doing, the movie just assumes you're automatically on the side of the police officer in every situation without like literally mm-hmm. they can show you the cop murdering someone. And they're like, but you're on the cop's side. Cause like, he's a cop, you know, like that is extremely 1990s to me. Like even by the, yeah, even by the early two like- thousands, it we're not a hundred percent. Like when did training day come out? Like 2006 or something, right? 2001. 2001 really? So exactly. 9-11. Training day caused 9-11. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> all part, all of, the part of the plan. master plan. <laughs> there's, an, I, there's a sense like Q&A with Nick Nolte came out around the same time as this movie or maybe like the year mm-hmm. before. Yeah, the year before. And there's, it's, there's something about this movie that's like, what if Q&A didn't know that Nick Nolte was a bad guy? Like. <laughs> <laughs> What if Prince of the City had a happy ending? Yeah, exactly. That's kind of it. Like, Prince of the City is a great example of, like, you know, I don't remember the exact ending of Prince of the City, but doesn't he, he, he doesn't go to jail, right? He nope. loses his badge or something. But he has no respect anymore from his, from all the other cops. Right. Um, and so there's an element of this where it's kind of like, if it just had that like little thing at the end that Sidney Lumet yeah. knows exactly how to put at the end of his movies. Yeah. The movie would be kind of fine, yeah. but it just, it's way too scared to do that. Yeah. Prince of the city has a great ending where he goes to speak to a bunch of cadets. Um, and he's got some, you know, fame in the police department because of what he did. But, you know, there's some cops in the room who have no respect for him, who make sure that, right. you know, he's doesn't feel like he got away with it. Because that's how they feel that like he actually should have pun- been punished instead of uh, turning on, you know, turning in people. Doesn't Q&A have a similar ending as well, where it basically ends with Timothy Hutton giving like doing the Q&A at the end of the movie for the for the entire crime or something like that? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. It's been a while. I don't remember the details of Q&A except for how good Nick Nolte was in it. He's incredible. Him and um, Paul Calderon are yes. are really great in the movie. Anyway, the last question. Oh wait, so what is your most nineties yeah, thing? Did you think of something, Jesse? It, I'm gonna. I'm throwing in with oh, Renee Russo yeah, for sure. Classic. Yeah, okay. I loved. I just loved her when in the nineties. I just thought she was so great. The uh, last question that we ask is: uh, This movie came out thirty years ago. What, uh, in your opinion, has this movie have we grown out of in thirty years? kind of you want me to go i can go do you want me to try that again yeah try that again (laughs) (laughs) i was like what 
What the fuck are you talking about? I've done it. I've, <laughs> I've done it. I've done it well, and I've done. I've done it poorly. That was one of the bad ones. Chris, you do it. Uh, okay. So it's been thirty years since this movie came out. Obviously, there's been you know a, a lot of changes in the world. Like, what is something from this movie you feel like we've grown out of that you know used to be very common and is not common anymore? Well, this movie is called One Good Cop, but. We've now we know better now. It, we know that all cops are bad, so that you know that's one thing but, that I take away from this movie. <laughs> but so does this. But so does yeah, this. All movie. the cops are bad in this movie. Everything they do is venal. It's disgusting. If they do, if Disney Plus puts this on their service, they can change the name to All Cops Are Bad, <laughs> they or they can A-cab, reboot the movie yeah, as All A-cab, Cops A-cab, Are Bad. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm pretty sure like all three of us are probably going to have that as something as what we've grown out of with this movie, which is that like, it's sort of what you were just saying, Chris, that like everything the cop does is, uh, is viewed with, um, like no matter what it is, it's viewed, it's viewed positively or we're supposed to be on yeah, just this like, there's a benefit. Yeah. And I mean, not to use the same thing for both answers, but right. But like this idea that like, if you're on the good side of the law, like literally anything you do is okay. Like even, I mean, Michael Keaton commits armed robbery and then he commits like five murders, but like, it's okay. Cause they were, but it's, it's all okay. okay. They're drug dealers. Yeah. I mean, he breaks into their house and holds them all at gunpoint and screams at them to give him all their money. I mean, it's like, and then, but like, we're not supposed to think that's bad that he did that because he gives it to the orphanage. Like the orphanage doesn't fucking want it, you know. Like, I mean, it's 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 not just okay because he's a cop. It's also okay because it's for a few oh white kids God. to move into oh a house God, in the suburbs. Right. And what's the difference between a cop uh, robbing some drug dealers and giving the money to a shelter? Than a drug dealer who wants to freshen up their public image by giving money to a shelter. Well, because the drug dealer, what you're not understanding, Jesse, is the drug dealers are bad. So, like, basically, if they do it, then it's bad. <laughs> like, it's pretty easy, actually. You know. Okay. You've done me it's a public enemy <laughs> number one. I'm not your enemy. I'm just a businessman. <laughs> so, one thing that we've outgrown from this movie is just accepting movies about cops as on their yeah. face. You know. And thinking yeah. that this is like something that you wouldn't be like now you see a movie like One Good Cop and all you're thinking is that's illegal. Yeah. That's a crime. That's an unforgivable sin. There's no coming back from this. But the movie doesn't see that. And it accidentally tells on itself. Yeah. Yeah. No, I 100% agree. This movie would have been better if at the beginning when which is what I had assumed when the scene first started when uh, Anthony LaPaglia is looking at the photo of his wife and is crying at like 5.30 in the morning, I didn't think that she had died. I just assumed that she left him because he drank too much. <laughs> no. <laughs> he, he looks, looks like, like shit. shit. He's yeah. all glass-eyed and bloated. I know it's supposed to be screen, but he looks like he's been drinking I mean, they both, him and Michael Keaton both. Actually, they both look like shit like the entire movie. Actually, one thing about this movie that's kind of cool that I have to give it credit for is um it's very committed everybody but renee russo no, looks like sort shit. of it's very committed to showing the bruises and scabs of michael keaton like it, if he gets burned in one scene for the next 10 scenes he's got like gradually fading burns on him you know which is like so weird like why did they bother to do this you know but they really went a hundred percent of the way to try to make this seem realistic 
And every time Lapalia got beaten up, he looked like <laughs> he's been through hell. Like he's covered in <laughs> yeah, blood. Covered in blood like <laughs> like, great makeup for There was bruises. a ridiculous scene yeah. in the elevator. Amazing. Oh, so, we barely even talked about this scene. This scene in the elevator where they get jumped for no reason. By some black people. At one point they yeah. go, They're they go, the hey, project. these aren't landlords. They're cops. I'm like, landlords of the projects? Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even think of that. The landlord would is not going to come by. There, the, the building, landlord is ever. the state of New York. Like there is no such thing. <laughs> these aren't the landlords. You mean the governor? No, these are cops. I guess in well, a way they are like the I, landlords because they work for the government. <laughs> I just remembered one more thing about this movie is that the beginning when Lapalia was on the couch uh, in the bed crying, it didn't even occur to me for a minute or two that he was mourning anybody. <laughs> I thought he was a dirty cop and like his conscience is eating away at him. And that's why he was going to die. I thought there was that's something what I thought. going on with that character. Like he has a drug problem. <laughs> he his looks wife like he has a him. drug problem. He's crying. Sure. He, he looks like shit. He's being, you know, he's acting like a weirdo. I thought that there was some kind of like that we were being set up for like that. Keaton was going to discover the corruption of his partner. Yes. But instead it just went into sentimental uh, territory. <laughs> Very strange. Yeah, but it's an That's indicator kind of... of just how hard this movie is at depicting an actual crime drama. Like we're starting to imagine a more interesting <laughs> movie than they're giving us. It is just so, and you have to think too. Like um, this is a movie starring fucking Batman. Like this is not like nothing. <laughs> like this is fucking Batman is the star of this movie. Like that at, at at this time when there was the monoculture and the way that it existed, like that was such a huge thing. And this is such a nothing like fart of a movie that has no ideas or like Jesus. nothing. You know. This is kind of the beginning of Keaton's star fading, right? Yeah. I mean, he has Clean and Sober, Batman, Pacific Heights, and then from here on out, it's like this. Um, Batman Returns. Oh, yeah, right. Batman Returns. But then he starts heading into like, what was that one where he was in prison and he was a psycho? And was it with Andy Garcia? Ex I'm sorry, are you guys, are you guys? I want to say Extreme Measures, but that's a whole other are movie. Are you forgetting Multiplicity? Like, there's, there's Multiplicity, obviously. He's still doing great work, oh, right. you know, many years later. Right. Yeah. There's, there's, there's the My, oh, Life, my Life, The, yeah, paper, the paper, Multiplicity. The Paper is like, it's, and I think you're it's a of, bad movie, but it's not, it's watchable. I think I haven't watched it in a really long time. I think, are you thinking of Desperate Measures? That's the one. Yeah, Barbe Schroeder. Is it, who is the other guy in it? It's, I it's think it's, it's Andy Garcia. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because Keaton is uh is uh I think he uh fakes his own death or something to get out of because uh, desperate times call for desperate measures. But yeah, it's Barbe Schroeder. I remember it being kind of amusing because Keaton's a total super villain in that one. That's cool. I like when Keaton Keaton plays a villain. Mm-hmm. I love Pacific uh, Heights. That's a that's a pretty uh, tense movie. Like in, so maybe Keaton's star really starts to fall with Jack oh Frost. Right, that's ninety eight. That's ninety eight. Then it's like it's Jack Frost, A Shot at oh. Glory, Quicksand, yeah. First Daughter, White Noise, Game Six. Yeah, he went into the doldrums for a while. Is he fully loaded? Oh, I had yeah. no idea. <laughs> he was probably fully loaded while he was making <laughs> it. 
<laughs> Keaton's got such an interesting career. It's like one of those guys that like, it seems as soon as he gets like a little bit of power and starts sort of making his own right. decisions in regards to his roles, they're bad. He fucks right? up. They're bad. His <laughs> instincts are all bad. Like, you know, like he can do good work, but he can't really manage his career. At a certain point, an agent gets a, gets a hold of him, like a smart agent or manager, and is like, look, you want to work with this filmmaker. They're going to be great. You've got to do this part. And he's like, yeah, 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 <laughs> fuck you. And he does it. And then he's like, gets a little bit, a little bit of power after like Birdman or something. And it's like, and uh, and it's like, oh, I'm gonna do um, this McDonald's movie. Yeah, right. <laughs> Have you guys uh, seen uh, Clean and Sober though? If not, yes, you I should. Haven't, I haven't seen that. Clean and Sober is very good. Very good, and he's really yeah. good in it. I mean, don't get me wrong. I think he is like kind of one of the great screen presences. It's extremely what he does is very original and natural. Like, uh, uh, like it doesn't seem affected. Yeah. You know, it's mm -hmm. it's exactly. Well, this who is what I is. think about that. Where this movie um, runs into trouble, though, is he cannot be this. I mean, he can be the villain. Like he's a villain in a Spider-Man movie. Do you know what I mean? But this kind of particular thing they're trying to have him do, where he's like kind of a desperate, dirty cop, violent personality. I just didn't find it believable for like one second. And I don't know if it's down to Haywood Gould, like directing really poorly or like not giving him, you know, cutting out the stuff that he should have cut out or whatever. But it's just not, it's not Michael Keaton. I don't feel like he's doing it, you know? Yeah, it's a movie that's trying to have it both ways. Like it, it's accidentally very critical of the cops and it does not want you to feel that way while you're watching it. Maybe people didn't feel that way in 1991, but it's pretty obvious now, especially with yeah. our healthy contempt yeah, for law 100%. enforcement. But I mean, Jesse, like, did you think, like, did you buy him in this role? Like, did you buy him as somebody like brimming with violence and capable of all this murder? And no, not across the board. Like, I, I thought that he was okay in some parts, but you know, Michael Keaton also plays Michael Keaton a yeah. lot in movies, and this felt like yeah. that to me. If anything, it felt like Michael Keaton was trying to be Sylvester Stallone. Oh, which he could never be. No, but like in his voice and his mannerisms and his kind of like, he was doing a fair yeah. bit of that in the movie. He's not physically the right size <laughs> to get away with anything like that. But it just seemed like a caricature and not a character. We all know that there really is only, there can only be one truly good cop in American movies, and that's Marion Cobretti. Yes. By, played by Sylvester Mary Stallone. Cobra. Is that his name in that movie? <laughs> great film. Great film about yes, a great man. Have you not seen, have you no not seen Cobra, Chris? Have. You, you have should to. see it. It's like, yeah, it's like a, it's like a right-wing fever wait. dream hallucination. Wait. And it's like, it's, it's like 88 minutes too. It, it's like, it. not even take up your time. It's pure sleaze, right-wing reactionary <laughs> insanity. And product placement galore. Oh, cool. Oh, like Stallone, uh, Stallone goes to his shitty apartment and there's like fucking for no reason, a giant neon Pepsi sign right <laughs> next to his front door. <laughs> but with, with all that said, it is still stylish, stylishly yeah. directed by George Cosmatos. Like it looks good, yeah. which is sort of this weird saving grace of this kind of like piece of shit where it's like none of it would hold together if it didn't actually look as good as it does because it looks kind of beautiful. <laughs> I mean, I, I what yeah. I know about it is the box art, the movie poster, which has been like, it looks so cool and scary to me and has since I was about six years old, you know? Over one good cop, I, <laughs> I recommend Cobra. Yeah. Um, 
Guys, uh, let's wrap it up. Thanks so much for being here. I think in terms of uh, this week in 1991, I'm probably going to go a Rage in Harlem <laughs> over over One Good Cop, personally. Yeah, yeah, I might have gone to see Citizen Kane again, you know, rather than to see One Good Cop. Yeah, I, I'm going to watch a Rage in Harlem because I love Bill Duke. I'm so happy that he's getting some attention again with the deep cover criterion. So I should see this movie, and Ricky told me how good it is, so I'll watch it. That's my recommendation. Even, even truly madly deeply, you might recommend over one good yeah. cop, right? Oh, absolutely, yeah. If truly madly deeply is is very nice, but um, Rage in Harlem is probably more interesting, um, just because of the pedigree of the people involved. Yeah. Well, guys, thanks so much. Thank uh, you, good Jesse, talking to you. Not lovely to speak with you. <laughs>